Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. For today's episode, I was joined by Scott Pline, principal in the development firm Equinox Investments and also founder and chairman of the White House Farm Foundation. I was also joined by Alan Rousem, who's the executive director of the Northern Virginia Conservation Trust. They joined me to talk about Leopold's Preserve, which is a 380-acre nature conservancy named for Aldo Leopold and located in western Prince William County, Virginia. It's an area that's experienced rapid growth in recent years. Um, and it's also one that I knew well because I grew up right nearby it. Uh, we discussed the preserve itself as well as some of the philosophy and approaches that underlie this sort of conservation. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention to our listeners that the preserve is open to the public. So please check out the links in the show notes to learn more. I plan to check it out myself the next time I'm in the area. And now with no further ado, let's go to the interview. All right. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Glad to be here, James. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. Okay, great. I'd love to get started with um, a quick introduction for our listeners, uh, just to Leopold's Preserve, which is you know one of the facets of the White House Farm Foundation. Um, and can you just give our audience a little bit of an idea of you know what that preserve is and what it's like when you first walk up and approach it? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, the Leopold's Preserve is actually an offshoot of a development that uh, my firm Equinox Investments did in Haymarket, Virginia. Uh, it was an opportunity to develop about 100 acres of land with 400 homes, while at the same time um, being able to save under permanent conservation easement um, 386 acres, which is Leopold's Preserve, where we have seven miles of walking trails, 35 interpretive boards, and uh, we do a lot of work as far as environmental education is concerned, and perhaps more importantly, environmental exposure. And I think any spot that you walk into, um, Leopold's Preserve, you know, has its own special uh, feel to it uh, and excitement to it because we've got so many kind of micro environments, if you will, uh, within the uh, park. Okay, and let's let's chat a little bit more about you know um, the philosophy that sort of underlies this type of conservation because I think you know when some of our listeners who are not perhaps familiar with the Northern Virginia area, um, I was I, I grew up there, uh, but. You know, Haymarket is a little bit outside of the Beltway, but it's also, you know, an area that is, has seen a lot of rapid development in these past recent years. So um, what's that area like? What's the what's the backdrop for this preserve? Well, I think, as most people know, the Washington uh, market uh, is a very dynamic market. Northern Virginia has been a leader in growth in the Washington metropolitan area for 50, 60 years now. And, you know, it started off in Arlington, moved out to Fairfax, moved to Loudoun. And now Prince William County, I believe, is the fastest growing county in the um, Commonwealth of Virginia. And so been a lot of development pressure there. And what's interesting about Haymarket in that general area is that's an area where something called the Rural Crescent starts. And that was certain folks' idea that uh, the way to, to, uh, to stop uh, density and the way to, to uh, slow down growth was to create a 10-acre lot uh, scenario where all you can do is buy right, which means you don't have to zone it or anything else is one home on uh, per 10 acre lot. And uh, so that was a, a move made in 1998 by Prince William County. And it's been getting a lot of pressure uh, to remove that, although it looks like with a new comprehensive plan, it's going to be maintained uh, at the 10 acre lots. And quite frankly, that's what uh, inspired me to do the development that I just described in my intro, um, where the 380 acres was actually 10 acre lot zoning, while the 100 acres where we uh, put the 400 homes was actually industrial and mixed use retail and office. 
And so we were able to leverage uh, the, uh, the zoning by creating the uh, 388 acre nature preserve, putting it into conservation easement and um, making it into a park that by the way, is totally funded by the White House Farm Foundation. Um, all the activities there, it's totally open to the public. But, um, you know, it really um, was an opportunity to show that if the economics were right and the planning was right, uh, that you could make money in the development business, uh, put people into homes while at the same time uh, preserving uh, a large area uh, of natural habitat in perpetuity. And how would you compare the types of conservation that you get with these 10-acre lots versus the type of work that you've done here? I'm assuming this uh, is much more nature-friendly. Well, I think there's no doubt that you get a, a more nature-friendly um, scenario there where, you you know, it's, it's, it's both people-friendly and nature-friendly in that, you know, you're providing homes for people on what essentially would have been 50 homes between the 100 acres and 386 acres. Uh, you're providing homes for, for people, uh, uh, you know, in the in 400 homes. But at the same time, you're preserving 80% of the land. Uh, and the dynamic was just there to be able to do that, both economically and with the land there. But, you know, really, when you look at um, when you look at 10 acre lots and you kind of relate that to ecosystems, uh, it's really a really a huge fragmentation of an, of ecosystems. A lot of folks think that, well, you know, 10 acre lots and it's all open. You just have one house on it. Uh, but in fact, all those 10 acre lots um, in Prince William County or most all of them are all on septic and well. And every time you go in and clear a driveway and then you clear that yard for that riding lawnmower and, you know, you, you put the pool in and all these other various things and you put uh, really large road sections in to service such large lots for every house you need, you know, multiple of, of amount of road frontage uh, and road length that you would need for a single family quarter acre lot. And so, um, you know, from an environmental standpoint, it's just bad use of land and it's, uh, it's not environmentally friendly at all. You know, when you look at, you know, uh, you know, our neotropicals and you look at other type of, uh, uh, you know, flora and fauna, once you start cutting it up like that, um, it, the value of the, of the ecological place, if you will, um, goes down greatly, as does changes in hydrology, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's, it's, it's great, but it would be a lot greater if we could plan on a large scale basis to have these type of uh, neighborhoods and preserved areas connected together, because then you get into this whole wildlife corridor uh, thing, which is, you know, it's, it, it's huge for, you know, so much, you know, fauna, uh, if we could just connect a lot of these green spaces while still providing human habitat through housing. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. You know, I lived in an area you know, nearby, so closer to the Fairfax-Alexandria border. And one of the things that I always noted about the fact that they have kind of an interlocking set of parks is that, you know, you do end up with deer and foxes and other sort of interesting fauna um, in an area that's much more urban than, you know, you might expect to see those animals typically. Uh, but I'm wondering about Leopold's Preserve. You know, how much actual sort of nature are you able to kind of fit into an area that's so close to human habitation? What's it like there? Well, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, with the reintroduction, I don't know if it's introduction or just the, the, the um, traveling, if you will, of coyotes, you know, we, we have coyotes there. And we have, of course, deer, which is, you know, a plus and a minus in any ecosystem. If there's 
too many deer. Um, we know what can happen to the, the low-lying vegetation, if you will. And um, But uh, we also have bear there. Um, and we're a part of the uh, Virginia Bird and Wildlife Trail, uh, which is noted in all sorts of information at the state level uh, and otherwise. So, I mean, it's that in, in particular, because we have the wetlands that we do in this property, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the waterfowl and just, you know, just birds in general are just really abundant. And we get, get a lot of traffic to see that. So, yes, it is a valuable habitat uh, for native animals. And it seems like there's also a lot of opportunity for the local community to, um, you know, take advantage of those walking trails and interact with, you know, that landscape as well. We did a, a survey um, and we've really, really gotten the word out about Leopold's over the last three or four years. And um, we did a survey and kind of did a, you know, non-scientific count. But we think that we have in the neighborhood of at least 10,000 uh, visitors a year at the property. Wow, that's a lot. It, it is. And I mean, it's noted. And when people find it, they just they want to be there. They want to go there. And of course, during the pandemic, as with so many other natural areas in our national parks and state parks, et cetera, uh, that really pulled up the demand uh, for open spaces such as that. And again, you know, a lot of what we're doing is education. And that brings in a lot of people as well, because we have so many different educational programs. Uh, and we're also serving as a laboratory for bringing uh, native plants back to certain fields and what have you, as opposed to monocultures of uh, what was once fescues and grazing uh, areas. We're also going in and doing invasive plant management um, and, uh, you know, doing a lot of really cool stuff on that end too, where we're sharing that information with other organizations and allowing other organizations to come into our property to do, again, you know, maybe uh, prescribe burns or come in and do some uh, seeding of areas with native grasses. And so we also like to be a laboratory uh, where folks can come in and, and use our grounds as a, a place to learn and a place to experiment for the benefit of wildlife. That's great. And I'd love to talk in a moment um, a little bit about the you know conservation easement that um, you know protects that landscape. And I'll, I'll, of course, bring Alan into this as well. But before I do that, I wanted to ask quickly about the name. Um, Leopold's Preserve, where does that come from? And, uh, and you know, what does it mean and how does it relate to the mission of the organization? Well, in my opinion, uh, the greatest conservationist of the 20th century, no doubt the first half of the 20th century, because he passed, I believe, in 1949, was Aldo Leopold. And Aldo Leopold started off uh, in the forestry service, actually, when he was a very young man working for um, Pinchot, who was the first, uh, I believe, the first head of the uh, uh, U.S. Forest Service. And um, he started off, and over time, he started to learn about land and the relationship between land and its health and the uh, fauna and flora on a piece of land. And, you know, from there, um, he started realizing and started coming up with a lot of theories uh, that, you know, how man takes care of the land is, is a benefit into wildlife, is a benefit not only to wildlife and, and the lands that you're saving uh, or enhancing for that matter, if they've been abused in the past, uh, but it's also very important to humans being able to uh, have a healthy life. And I think that, you know, it's a really critical thing for people to see right now, you know, as we're entering into this whole new um, era of, you know, huge population. I mean, you think back when, when Aldo Leopold was, um, was, was alive, you know, there might've been 3 billion people in the world, you know, 
at that time. And now we're looking at numbers, I think, that are approaching 8 billion people. And so, um, and please correct me, anybody, if I'm wrong on that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And you add to that pressure, uh, increasing development and agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. And we're just kind of crowding out, um, crowding out something that's very beneficial to us as human beings. And again, back to Leopold, that's what he saw. He saw that we need nature as much as nature needs us to take care of nature. And I'm hoping now we could talk just a little bit about the way that Leopold's Preserve is preserved. I believe I caught you saying the word permanent a little while ago. And I'm always kind of wondering about the nitty gritty of, you know, how these types of arrangements are made. And, you know, in this case, I'm wondering, you know, what sort of structure is ensuring the conservation of the preserve? Alan, please. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, the conservation easement tool, I, I think probably for some people is a, is a new concept and one that we can unpack here. It is a, a legally binding deed restriction on a property that you own that limits or or removes uh, development potential from the property. And so it is a very valuable and important tool to protect private land where a, a private landowner can relinquish development rights on a property, usually get significant tax benefits for doing so, um, and ensure that that in the future that property will will never be subdivided, developed, or 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 otherwise changed again. And easements are very uh, flexible tools. Each are different depending on the situation, and you write them with um, with certain provisions in them that are specific to certain sites, and it gives the landowner opportunity to <clears throat> work around unique features of of their particular property to to fit what they need and um and and yeah they are they they ride with the deed of your property in perpetuity so you can sell the property you can pass it on to heirs um, but it will always remain now i mean leopold's preserve will always remain protected uh for generations to come now um and and that that is the point of it that we um, that we know that we're doing something that's going to last and and that will become more valuable as the years go on. Uh, as Prince William County develops, as more and more people live there, Leopold's Preserve is going to become much more valuable as an ecological space. But it also would become much more prized as, as development opportunity. And the fact that we can't go back or some future pressure wouldn't wouldn't allow us to go back i think is exactly what we who run land trusts are hoping for when we use the tool of a conservation easement to ensure um, that this that this place will, will always create the ecological value it is today if not more and what's the relationship between your organizations and how did leopold's preserve originally get kicked off yeah i mean Scott and the White House Farm Foundation are, are, I think, relatively unique in the in the D.C. area and in Northern Virginia. I mean, we we talk to developers often who are interested in partnering with land trusts, but I think you often see that what they're willing to conserve is property that um, that that didn't already have much development value or they would have had a hard time developing anyway and they're looking for you know help to support uh, maybe a, a more controversial proposal to develop and in this case when 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 scott approached us uh, you know the idea of protecting almost 400 acres while developing 100 
was was a good ratio much better than we normally see and and a really strong commitment to conservation that is more than you see from most people who develop in our region and as our board and staff looked at building that relationship and thinking about what prince william county was going to be we could have taken a approach that said you know, no development should happen here. And we don't want to be a party to, you know, this, this carving up of this 100 acres. Uh, But I think being an urban land trust, we've got to be pragmatic about what is open space, what is natural area. Um, You know, you don't have large iconic national parks here, you don't have a lot of federal land here. And so the idea that you could protect, you know, 370 380 acres which is which is a large tract in in this part of the of the world was really enticing to us and the fact that scott and the foundation's generosity around funding the site too and and not just leaving when the project was done which which also would often happen is that a developer is working through a conservation easement but when that project is over you know they're no longer you know, involved in the future of that nature preserve. And we as the land trust or the surrounding community have to fund it, have to protect it. And in this case, Scott not only stayed, um, but but the entire White House Farm Foundation and, and their and their mission ensures that we're doing more than just saving the place. We're enhancing it. We're thinking about how, you know, climate change is going to affect it. Um, it, it builds on a relationship that I think is how, uh, you know, a really good example of how a land trust and developer can work together. And so um, we're, we're proud to be a part of it. And I think it 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 started as as something that, you know, you're you're feeling each other out and thinking about what's possible. But in the end, um, this was a really good win for conservation. And it also creates a livable community with people who you know have a great deal of 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 pride in this place and that matters too yeah absolutely and it certainly sounds like in an area where you're going to have growth um, a mechanism like this one you know if deployed properly can be a way of ensuring that that growth results in landscapes and communities that are actually you know pleasant places to be you know two things if i may um first of all i want to clarify that uh there are tax incentives for uh, putting one's property under conservation easement, where they're giving up, um, they're giving up development rights, and that's what it's. These conservation easements are most famously known for. Uh, where, for instance, I have a farm out in Luray, which is happens to be called the White House Farm, and um, I had uh, two hundred and I have two hundred seventy-two acres, and it was divided into um, fifty-three lots, and I gave up the rot rights to all but having three lots on that piece of property. And with that, I was able to, to get a, a tax credit. And I would encourage folks everywhere to look at the possibilities with that because, you know, you can really um, tailor a conservation easement to not, you know, hamstring yourself um, and, or, you know, tie your hands behind your back with your property while at the same time knowing that what you have decided to give and giving away the development rights that you've done something important for saving an appreciable amount of ground that has ecological value. Uh, but I want to note that in the um, in the process of zoning, uh, where I had to zone the property for those 400 homes, 
there's something called proffers is what developers give up uh, to um, to obtain their zoning, whether it's for transportation, schools, um, fire and rescue, et cetera. And in this case, um, it's kind of a quid pro quo, if you will. And in this case, the 300 acres was a, a quid pro quo, excuse me. Uh, and um, so we did not receive a, a tax benefit from that. So there, there, it's different things in different ways. And, um, and, and we were fine with that because again, we got a great development, um, which I might note with our development there, uh, Villages of Piedmont too. You know, one of the other things that we did there was in our proffers, we also said that all plant material in common areas, uh, all trees in common areas would be native trees. And so, you know, there, in, in the zoning process, there's a lot of really cool things that a developer can do, uh, you know, to kind of offset or mitigate uh, necessary development so people have homes. The other thing that I want to point out is you made the comment about Fairfax County. And, um, you know, I grew up in Fairfax County also over in, in the Annadale area. You know, Fairfax County really has done a good job of protecting its stream corridors. And a lot of that's because they're not developable, you know, uh, but, it, it, you know, they saw it pretty early on. And now I might want to add to this or, or debate it, but, you know, they really saw pretty early on how important these, uh, they call them stream parks, um, I believe, stream valley parks. And uh, it, it is a nice weaving, if you will, of uh, natural areas into a highly developed uh, community or county. And uh, actually, there's really an opportunity, I think, in, in some of these, you know, more dense urban areas where through proper, uh, proper incentives, uh, maybe it's height, maybe it's density, just like with affordable housing, uh, proper, you know, incentives, we could pull back from some of these stream valleys that we have in Arlington County and in Alexandria when these areas are redeveloped. And it's inter interesting that redevelopment is the greatest opportunity uh, that we have as far as, um, as far as, you know, improving our environment. And, you know, this has been proven by a lot of things that have happened on the, on the Potomac river where a lot of these really cool developments have happened there and they've redeveloped areas that at one time, like the wharf were just, a sink for pollution and stormwater management and everything else. And they were able to come back in there and, and, and redevelop that area. Uh, they're actually doing, I think, some wetlands down there in the, in the, in the uh, tidal basin or whatever that area is down there. But, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in development to give back to the environment. And uh, I think we all need to realize that. But that being said, you know, the counties, the, 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 the folks in charge, if you will, whether it's the politicians or the staffs, really need to be more aggressive and understand that if they put together the right kind of incentive package, uh, that we can do stuff to really enhance our environment and ecosystems. And again, I, I believe that, you know, uh, conservation easements are a big part of that. I think the only other thing I would note is, you know, the, the counties, Prince William, Fairfax, Arlington, they have great, you know, local park systems. But they're loved to death. I mean, they they have a hard time managing them. There aren't enough of them. And so adding private nature preserves like Leopold's that take some of the pressure off of those places and give people more spots to go is probably not valuable, not only ecologically, but in 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 dispersing people into outdoor spaces in a more healthy way, because 
what you're seeing on these county parks are not is not sustainable because of how much people need them and and how many people have now moved there. You know, you're seeing a lot of places go to a lottery system just to let people in in Shenandoah now. I think you're going to have to start seeing that too in some state and local parks. The more that we can with private land augment more of that to give people places to go, it's going to create a much better user experience when where you're not just finally getting there and I'm in the outdoors, but I'm in a single file line walking with a million people in a place that I was looking for a little solitude. Like, I think it really matters. Yeah, and as someone who's gone on quite a few rather high traffic hikes in the Northern Virginia area, I can certainly vouch for that point. Um, lastly, I was hoping we could talk just a little bit about ways that people might be able to support this type of conservation, should they be so interested. You know, I don't know if we have any major landholders who are listening in, uh, but advice for them, and probably more relevantly, uh, advice for those who, you know, would like to perhaps lobby their politicians, other decision makers, um, to support this type of conservation. Yeah, I mean... Uh, one of the first steps is, you know, there's it's a very small subsect of the population that has land that is in fact conservable. And I think one of the one of the challenges and opportunities we have is to involve people in in supporting our work and doing what we do when you don't have that. When you're when you're living in a home that isn't, you know, it doesn't have a large lot or you're living in a condo or an apartment all of these things that we're doing are meant to create a better, more sustainable Northern Virginia. And what we're working to um, spread the word about is that through volunteering and events that we do um, through supporting us in with donations that we, we is, is a large majority of our budget. It, it allows us to staff and grow and build um, uh, these, uh, these networks. And so we want people to get involved, you know, in, in, you know, getting our newsletter, reading what's coming in the state assembly, reading what, um, county governments are working on, basically being more politically involved in, in understanding land use. There are areas of the country where people really understand land use issues. And I think there's a lot of Northern Virginia where that still isn't the way that people necessarily think. Though I think in Prince William and Loudon and Stafford in the further suburbs, you see a lot of that. But people don't always know that the decisions that are being made are really going to affect um, the their world that they know. And so we would really encourage people to be seeing what your board of supervisors is voting on. You know, what are the zoning decisions that are being made? And then join an organization like NBCT where we can get you more of that information, ways to get involved, ways to volunteer. Um, ways to make a difference in your community. If we can do more of that, then um, I think we're building a, a community in Northern Virginia that cares about places. And that's something that, uh, you know, Northern Virginia is a pretty transient area. There's not as many people here that are from here. And so we have to build pride in place when many people who live here are from somewhere else and think of that as home. And that's a challenge, but I think an opportunity to get people to think about Northern Virginia as home and, and to treat it as such when we have so many people coming and going and so much diversity that's building in the community. Yeah, I'll add to that, that, you know, it, it's, it's like we need a third wave of involvement in the development process and the growth of our communities and the rejuvenation of our communities. And right now you have kind of like developers and builders on one side trying to get all the density they can or 
trying to use all the land they possibly can. Uh, and on the other side, you have people who can call themselves no growthers and they, they hang their hat on the environmental uh, sign uh, when in fact, really it's exclusionary zoning and it's, um, it's a method of just not, a method of slowing down how many people can be near you. And, um, and people, that third wave needs to be a group who understands exactly what we we're talking about with Leopold. They need to understand that there is a, a very important dynamic between natural areas and human health. And, um, and, and so people need to understand more about, we need a group of people out there who really understand that you can have it both ways, uh, but they need to be able to lobby for that type of, of, of situation. So we don't end up with these 10 acre lots and we do look at redevelopment and say, okay, if we're gonna redevelop, then you know, how do we do it in a more ecologically sensitive way, whether it's stormwater management, whether it's a certain amount of open space, uh, that goes along with the redevelopment, you know, the park systems, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many different pieces of it. You know, I'm right now I'm reading a, a, a great book about uh, another great conservationist of the late 19th century, uh, Frederick Law Olmsted. And, you know, Olmsted understood this very early on about what was going to happen with suburban growth and why we need the spaces we do, including Central Park in New York. And, you know, just think of New York without Central Park. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's sure it doesn't, it's not next to everybody, but it's next to a heck of a lot of people. And, you know, that type of green space in New York City, you look at what goes on down at the, at the battery now and in, in, in the, uh, the open spaces down there. Um, you know, we just, we need to kind of get back to that thinking holistically. And that's that third wave of people that we need to do. And hopefully in some way uh, at White House Farm Foundation and Leopold's Preserve, Hopefully we're opening some people's minds up to that because people are listening when they come and start talking to us and we start talking about development patterns and, and what have you. They're, they're kind of, a lot of people are starting to get it, but it's a, it's a long haul, believe me. No, that's a very exciting message, and that may just wind up being, um, you know, where we cl where we close out the conversation. But uh, but before we do, um, I just wanted to ask you both uh, very quickly. You know, what's what's next for your organizations? What kinds of things are you working on right now? What are the what are the next steps going forward? I'm looking for my next Leopolds. So, like like Alan said, it's hard to find 400 acres you can give up in Northern Virginia. But uh, yeah, and, and we're looking to ease his next Leopolds. I, I mean, I do think that we've got to scale up conservation to meet the challenge of climate change, to meet the challenge of development. You're never going to regret protecting a Leopold's preserve. And in 20, 30, 40 years, it's going to be so much more valuable as a community asset than it is now. And I think that even on a smaller scale, you know, smaller lots in and around the DC area, that remains the case. And so we're just trying to scale up and, and find more and more opportunities to, to do this important work. And, and, you know, we've protected about 150 different places around Northern Virginia, um, about 9,000 acres that we now manage. And I think the capacity that we're trying to build, you know, would have us um, well outstripping that in the, you know, five or 10 years ahead. And and not only do we want to be there from an organizational point of view, but we need to be there to protect the Chesapeake Bay watershed, to protect 
the growth of 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 the communities that we're seeing you know but to make this a place that people want to live that and and, and to make it a, a place that has balance and so the more scott plines and white house farm foundations we can find the better i think this is this is the way that we should be doing conservation and development and people talk about it artfully as something that can coexist and in this case it has and, and we hope it can be a model for other similar situations and we need local political officials conservation groups and developers to all think that way and i think if they did we'd make a real difference and and leopolds will continue to do that excellent well i think that is a superb note on which to leave the conversation uh, i appreciate both of your time very much uh, thank you for joining me today thank you thanks have a great day And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.